So anyway, it is great to see you on this beautiful day, although I think we're going to have a bit of rain this week. What I'd like you to do is take out your outline, and I'm going to chat to you today, have a talk about a very important subject, which is very easy to lose at Christmas. With all of the pressures that come on you, and me, and your neighbours, it is very easy to lose your joy at Christmas. Actually, at Christmas, the world, if you go and you listen to the carols, which I thought were amazing in the Christmas walkthrough, and you'll see on shop windows and on cards, the word joy is mentioned in concept. I want to move from concept to, to reality today because Christianity, here's a fact, Christianity is the most joyful faith on earth. We are a singing faith. We sing. No holiday has more songs written about Jesus than any other holiday or you know, than Christmas. There are more songs about Jesus than any other individual on this planet, bar none. There is more artwork about Jesus than any other person, bar none. There are more buildings built for Jesus than anybody else, bar none. Why is that? Because he's unique. He is absolutely unique. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Nobody else ever said that. Anyway, the Bible story alone mentions this word, which I want to talk about today, the word joy, eight times. And I want to kind of like dissect this and analyze this. Why eight? The arrival of Jesus is the most joyful event in history, and it came at the appointed time of the Father. So first of all, let's just get a few definitions straight. What is joy? A lot of misconceptions about that. So I want to borrow from my friend's wife today. I want to take her definition because I like this. I like it a lot. By the way, I've got your driver's license. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> Joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. Joy is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. That is my favorite definition of joy. Wouldn't it be great if we felt that joy all the time? The world would be a much nicer place. Now the truth is, here's the, that's the nice to have, here's the reality. Most of us don't sense that, that joy most of the time. Why is that? Because we have a leak. We have leaks. It drains out of our lives easily and quickly. Why is that? Why does joy drain out of our lives? Well, here's a few barriers to joy. Because there are barriers that literally block it in your life. There are depleters of joy that drain it out of your life. There are enemies of joy that fight against you being joyful. And the destroyers of joy that steal the joy that God wants you to have. So today, before we can look at how to have it, I want to address the hole in the bucket. Now you just put more on the top if it's leaking out the bottom. So here it goes. Three common destroyers of joy in your life. We're going to look at that first. And then secondly, at Christmas, I want to show you a model for you based on Mary and Joseph and the wise men, how they modeled Three choices that you and I can make that can restore your joy if you've lost it. So, let's get going. Number one, the most common destroyer of joy that I've seen anywhere, bar none, is anxiety. You may want to write that in. Anxiety. 
when you're stressed, when you're scared, when you're anxious and frightened and nervous and worried, you're going to destroy any modicum of joy in your life. See, because it's hard to be joyful and fearful at the same time. Distress is the opposite of delight. Now, Mary faced a lot of anxiety at the birth of Jesus. Now, this young lady could have been about 15, 16 years old. And most married very early in life because they didn't have very long lives. So you got on with it. And especially, she had a lot of anxiety because she was going to have a birth like no other woman has ever, ever had before. No other birth like it. I mean, how? How? How's this going to happen? And, and on top of that, she's single when she got pregnant. Now, back in those days, that was an enormous social scandal, gossip, and it had some dire consequences for that dear woman. Dire. This is epidemic proportions. And then, God is the Father? What? How does this even work? How am I supposed to believe that? And what about Joseph? The guy I'm betrothed to. And I'm going to hold up. Think about this for a moment, ladies. I'm going to give birth to my first child with no help. No mama. No auntie Elizabeth. Nobody. And then raise a child who's going to be God perfect. Whoa! This, my mind is exploding. Can you imagine how she was? And by the way, the word afraid in this, in this account is mentioned seven times. She was afraid. I get it. I get why she was afraid. But every time she was afraid, an angel said, seems to keep saying, don't be afraid. Why? Because anxiety robs you of joy. Let me say it again. Anxiety will rob you of joy. But Mary makes the right choice. She's going to make a choice here. That's going to model for you and I how to deal with anxious situations and how to turn that around so she ends up with joy. So anxiety is where she starts, no question. But what does she do? Here it is. When Mary is afraid, she chose to trust God and accept his plan. Trust him and accept his plan. Let's read the story. If you've got your Bibles with me, you open them up to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Otherwise, they'll be on the screen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a young virgin girl named Mary. Now at that time, she was legally engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Suddenly, an angel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, highly favored woman. The Lord is with you. Notice these two next words, frightened and disturbed. Let me tell you, every time I read in the scriptures when an angel appeared, people had their face in the carpet and were quaking. Every time. There's never a cool time when, oh yeah, just an angel. It scares you witless. Frightened and disturbed by this, Mary wondered what the angel could possibly mean. Imagine if you saw a ghost on steroids. Right? Get the picture? It would freak you out. 
Think about this poor woman, 15, 16 years old. Today, we minimize how traumatic this was. We just blow right over the top of it. Mary's traumatized. I don't blame her. <laughs> and then the angel says his lovely words. Don't be afraid, Mary. <laughs> the angel told her, you have been chosen by God for his purpose. You may want to circle that. Here's the secret. You, 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 you were created by God for a purpose. You were chosen by God for a purpose. But if you miss it, you'll miss it if you don't choose it. Mary chose it. When the angel said next, what he said next created even more anxiety. Luke 1, 31. The angel continued, you, young lady, will become pregnant. And you're going to have a son. And you need to name him Jesus. And your child will be the greatest, the son of the most high God. And you will sit on David's throne as king forever. And his kingdom will never end. Then Mary kind of asked the obvious question, which created more anxiety. Uh, then Mary asked, how is this possible since I've never slept with a man? See, a virgin can't produce a baby, but God can. And by the way, for some of you, I want you to consider this. If there is a God, no miracle is off the table. That logic's reasonable. The moment the universe came into being from nothing, ex nihilo. That's one of the greatest miracles that also ever happened. Which points to creator, because how can something come from nothing? The angel replied, this is how it's going to happen, Mary. God's Holy Spirit and His creative power will overshadow you so your baby will be the Holy Son of God. It will be a miracle. I'm going to give you 23 chromosomes. I'm going to use the 23 yours, but we're going to put those together. His creative power will overshadow you, so your baby will be the Holy Son of God. It will be a miracle, just as your relative Elizabeth had become pregnant in her old age, way past time, for nothing is impossible with God. That's true. And the fact is, you'd feel a lot of anxiety at 15 years old. Now, granted, girls and boys in those days, young men and young women, were more mature, I think, than they are today. They were more skilled, are more socially, yeah, socially mature. But nevertheless, at 15, it will be a big ask. Now, I don't know what you're anxious about today, but I do know the antidote. That you have been chosen by God for his purpose. So, I want to suggest to you, your antidote is to trust God and accept his plan. Put it all in God's hands, because you won't be able to work it all out yourself. You're not built to carry all that anxiety by yourself. And this is exactly what Mary demodeled. Here she goes. This is her antidote. This is the proof. Luke 1, 38. Mary responded this. So she was anxious, and this is what she says. I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever he wants. You may want to circle that. That's the proof of the point. May everything you said to me come true. Then the angel left her. And my question to you is, have you come to that point in your life? 
if you haven't and you're trying to run your own life and you're fighting God's plan, which will be different to your plan. Have you come to the point where you're actually willing to say, I accept whatever he wants? That's a point of deep challenge. And the result of Mary's choice was joy. Look at it. Luke 147. My spirit finds joy in God my Savior. She applied the word, and the result was joy. Now, the second most common destroyer of joy, and you're going to find this in your life. I guarantee it. And you're going to also see it in the Christmas story. And that is resentment over a hurt. Resentment will kill your joy. And where does resentment come from? Well, it arises when you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, when you've been dis disappointed or wounded or offended. This is when disappointment and resentment cycle. See, friends, bitterness, maybe when you've been abused or mistreated or unfairly treated, bitterness keeps millions and millions of people from experiencing joy. So you can't be resentful and joyful at the same time. The two do not coexist. What about the Christmas story? Have you ever considered how galled Joseph would have been? How wounded and betrayed. You're what? You're pregnant? Come on. We're, we're betrothed. We're engaged. You've done this to me. When he gets the news that his wife to be the woman that he deeply loves. And they've never had sex. And all of a sudden she comes to him and says, Honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. Just think about that. That's a tough ask. How would you feel? The woman that you'd set your heart on. Would you feel cheated on? Would you feel betrayed? Deceived? I'm sorry to say that some of you know that feeling. See, back in those days, betrothal meant way more than the casual engagement that we have today. It was actually legally binding. It was a contract made about a year prior to the wedding day, and there was no sex allowed. It was taboo. And the only way to break a betrothal was a divorce. That's how it worked in near, um, Middle Eastern culture. Anyone who was caught being unfaithful faced very serious legal and social implications and consequences. Very serious. But Joseph did not seek to retaliate or wound Mary back. So number two, when Joseph was hurt, he chose, here's the word choose, he chose to offer grace and let the pain go. That will be shocking. He chose to offer grace and let the pain go. Now, God, it, it bemuses me this a bit. God could have told the plan to Mary and Joseph together. You know, get them all together and, here I am, solve the problem. 
take away the angst of Joseph. He did not choose that. Have you noticed that? Would it be much easier? A meeting of the minds. Instead, I want to suggest to you that Joseph's character was tested and his faith was tested. I guess the test was like this. Will he be compassionate? Will he be forgiving and loving? Will he be a good godly man or is he going to try and get even? You can understand how that could work, right? Will he get angry? Will he get mean and vindictive? Well, he said, okay, because you cheated or were unfaithful to me, I'm going to go over here and be unfaithful to you. Testing his character. And I'm going to sleep with somebody else because you've done this to me. When Joseph was hurt, though, he didn't do that. He chose to offer grace and let the pain, which was very real, go. Now, while Mary struggled with anxiety, Joseph, his primary, I guess, gut reaction was probably resentment and anger. And that happens in many marriages today, anger and resentment. He had every reason to be hurt and mad and wounded, but he did not fly off the handle and attack Mary with his hurt to try and hurt her back. This is how he handles Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was legally betrothed. It's important words. To be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, they had not come together. That's biblical speak for slept together. She became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph was a godly man who, I love that, he was a godly man who always did what was right and he did not want to shame Mary or expose her to public disgrace. Now, again, friends, there was enormous consequences for this happening. This is not a trivial thing. This is nothing like what would happen today. So he planned to call the wedding off quietly. This is a beautiful example to us of grace. He doesn't rub it in. Hey, you guys, look what she's done. I don't mean quite like that, but let it be known. Wasn't me. Didn't say that. Didn't try to get himself out of that. Or publicly embarrassing. He's not trying to shame her. He just says, okay, we're just going to call off the wedding. And he's doing the best that he can, understandably. Right? I have a question for you, though. Here it comes. Who has hurt you deeply? You'll probably know immediately. Question two is, are you still holding on to that hurt? If you are, that's one of the main reasons you are not joyful. Because you can't have both resentment and joy at the same time. Now, I just want to explain this. Friends, As your pastor, I want to say this to you very clearly. Do not forget this. Resentment is worthless. It only hurts you. They could be going on their merry way, not even thinking about you, but you are stewing and spewing and so ticked off about that instance. I like to say, I told my boys when they were at home, it's like taking a shotgun and rather than turning around that way, you turn around the other way, pull the trigger, hoping that the butt's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt you more. 
They could be having a nice barbecue today, not even thinking about you, getting on with their own life. And you are the one that's left without the joy because the resentment will eat your life. Now, God brought, if that's you today, let me tell you without equivocation, God brought you, you here today to say this one thing to you. Let it go. It's holding you captive. Christ came to set you free. Now, you're going to say to me, well, yeah, but they don't, they don't deserve forgiveness. Of course they don't. That's nothing to do with the issue. Did we deserve forgiveness when Christ was on the cross? No. They don't deserve forgiveness, but neither do you. And God freely forgave. As you have been given, freely have been given, freely give. God's forgiven you for all kinds of stuff. Now, fortunately, God didn't leave Joseph in the dark for long. Picking it up from Matthew 1, 20 through 21. After deciding. See that word? He decided. It's a choice. After deciding this, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. I love that. See, I told you it was a test. He had to decide. Then the supernatural happened. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph! The baby that Mary is carrying is really from the Holy Spirit. So go ahead, marry the girl. Marry her, excuse me. When the baby is born, name him Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. Now notice the connection here. Because Joseph did not get better, God blessed him. Bitter, listen. Misunderstandings, fights, and anger will not kill a marriage. Bitterness and resentment will absolutely. So, do you want to get bitter? It's a horrible place to be. Or do you want to become blessed? You can say, well, I, I, I would like to, but I, don't, I can't. I don't have the strength to do that. That's why God sent to save you at Christmas. So that, because he knew that you couldn't do it on your own. You need God's power in your life to give the desire and the will and the strength to do what he wants. Where do you get that strength to let it go? Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. When you can't figure out what you're supposed to do, when you can't make up your mind, you're undecided about direction, and you doubt which way to go, the question at Christmas the question is, at the first Christmas, everyone was confused except, except the angels. Sorry, I skipped that for me there, mate. The third most common killer of joy is confusion. When you have no clue where to go, what to do, or what's next. But you can't make up your mind. At the first Christmas, everybody was confused. Everybody. Except the angels. <laughs> Because they knew what was going on. They had the kind of like the, the run sheet, what was going to happen. Now, Mary and Joseph were confused. You can see why, right? Both of them, they had tick, tick, confusion, confusion. The wise men had to deal with confusion over direction. They knew something was happening. But they had to ask for directions. Did you notice that? They knew something was going on, but they had to ask for directions. One step at a time, and that's a word from God to some of you in this room today. One step at a time. I'll come back to that in a minute. Who were the wise men? They were scholars, scientists, philosophers. And here's an interesting point. Even intellectuals get confused about their direction in life. But they made the right choice. 
Here's the choice they made, the third choice. When the wise men were confused, they chose to follow God's light one step at a time. One step. Matthew 2, next chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked. They got some direction to there from the start, but then it's like, okay, where now? Very confusing. I'll ask. They asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have followed it here. Now, look at this. There's four, four key words here. Followed it here, seeking to find and worship. Four things. Four stages in the spiritual journey that every one of us here are in one of those four. Now, Herod was deeply upset. This guy was a maniac. He killed his wife. He killed some of his kids. He was a, just an egomaniac. This guy, you can read about him in history. All this is, you can go check it out. He was deeply upset and bothered by their search. And so was most of Jerusalem as well. <laughs> Nothing much changes in the political system. Political system still gets upset with Jesus. Now, note several things about the wise men. Number one, they were seekers of God. That's a good thing. Some people don't even care enough to check it out. Well, let's pray for those people. Because a time will come when they'll be shocked into some situation in life that they'll think, I don't have answers to this. The wise men were seeking him. Conversely, it would not be wise to not seek the creator who made you. I mean, how did you, are you just a, a moist robot? Are you just atoms and molecules? If you think that, is there such a thing as free will? That's a deep dive and starting to go down to an area, but you need to think these things through. Either you were created on purpose or you're just random, meaningless, you came from nowhere and you're going nowhere and that's it. That's a hopeless way to live. And you'll find that eventually. It's not wise to say there is no creator. In fact, the Bible says it's the fool who says there is no God. Likewise, it's wise to go check it out and seek. Number two, they were serious enough to invest time and energy. I know a lot of people say, oh, I'm interested in God, but they're not willing to invest any time and energy. Now, this was no simple and easy trip for those wise men. They invested time and they invested money to go investigate whether this is really true. And that should be for you too. It's that important. The one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either of no use whatsoever, or it's of ultimate importance. It can never be moderately. That's a logical impossibility. It's very expensive to put together a caravan to travel for months. My question to you, if you're in that seeker category, is what are you willing to invest to come to a knowledge of God? Mums and dads, what are you willing to invest to make sure that your children grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus? Number three, they hid it out in faith with the light they were given. Notice this, young people. They did not wait until they had every detail stitched up. And neither should you wait 
Start your journey now with the light you've been given. And as you walk towards that light, more light will be given. Number four. They're seeking of Jesus upset some people. And I want to warn you very clearly that as you seek Jesus, that may well happen to some of you. In fact, it will. It's going to bother some people. And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you the truth. There's a downside to becoming a Christian. And there's an upside. We often talk about the upside, but I want to be real clear about the downside. If you genuinely seek Jesus, somebody ain't going to like it and they're going to tell you. And probably multiple people. And guess what? It may even be in your own family. Somebody's going to get upset. Somebody's going to get bothered, just like Herod did. Herod asked the Bible scholars, where is the king of the Jews? The Messiah that is supposed to be born. They said it's in Bethlehem. Matthew 2.8, then King Herod sent them to Bethlehem with these instructions. Go and diligently search. That's another good word, diligently. Not just as a casual deal. Diligently search to find this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, right. That ain't going to happen. Because King Herod was jealous, deceitful, and he was an assassin. I told you, even his own family. Go read this. This is in secular history. He even shafted his own family. 9 and 10. So they continued their search following the star they had seen in the east. And it went ahead of them until it stopped exactly over the place where the child was. And when the wise men saw the star, they stopped. They were filled with joy and rejoiced exceedingly. Notice, they didn't have an exact map. But, here's the good news, they got where God intended in his sovereignty. And the problem that exists for you and for me is we want God to give us an exact map with our life all laid out. But friends, can I tell you this? God will never give you a map like that. Why? Number one, it would scare you half to death. And number two, it wouldn't require any faith. The Bible says those who come to God must, one, believe that he is. And number two, that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. Instead, what he will give you is this. He will give you and has given you a compass and a guiding light. A compass, what does it do? It points north. It doesn't tell you, oh, you're going to find this this log across the road here or anything like that. It doesn't tell you the exact details, all the things that are on the track. So what is the compass for your life? It's called the Bible. The less you're in this book, the Bible, the more confused you're going to be about where you came from. What am I supposed to do on this earth? Why am I even here for 70, 80 years and that's it? What? How am I supposed to live And it's also going to tell you about what's happening in the future. The listening in the book, the more you're going to run into dead ends. Oh, this is a great idea. Get to the end of that after spending years of your life in it. Dead end. Disappointment. Let down. The, The less you're in the book, the more issues you're going to have. To be clear, this book will not tell you this. Choose job A, B, or C. It will not tell you that. Do not expect that. 
There's not like a horoscope or a... It will not tell you ABC. What it does do is point you in the right direction on those values when you make that decision. This compass is the Word of God, and along with God's Spirit, who lives within you, if you're a Christian, is your guiding light in life, and He'll give you these nudges. See, Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Finally, the wise men get to the place where Jesus was. By the way, notice this. The wise men didn't give up until they got there, until they found Jesus. Matthew 2.11, they entered the place and saw the child with his mother. Overwhelmed, they fell to their knees and worshipped Jesus. They opened their treasure boxes and gave their gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. So finally they meet Jesus. Have you ever really met him personally. Well, how do you know, Pastor Ian? Just like the wise men, when they personally encountered Jesus, the same thing, two things will happen to you if you've really met him. Number one is you'll be overwhelmed with humble gratitude. When you finally realize what God did for you in sending Jesus, his one and only son, to the cross and sending you a savior, Here's another way to ask that question. Have you ever been awestruck when you realize that God would love you enough to send Jesus? If you've never felt that way, you probably really don't appreciate Jesus. Some of you may have even gone to church your entire life. I'm not talking about that. But you still may not really know Jesus. There's a huge difference between knowing about him and knowing him. For example, I know about Steve Hansen. But I don't know him. Or, maybe another realistic illustration, I know about John Ashcroft, who used to be Attorney General for the United States. I've shook his hand. I've sat around a dinner table, a breakfast table with him. But I don't really know him. It's more like a casual acquaintance. So number one, if you really know him, you'll be overwhelmed with a humble gratitude. Number two, the second thing these guys did, is said they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts. When you really know Jesus, you want to give him the best of your life. Do not give first-class allegiance to second-class causes. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for you. God cared enough to send his very best. He didn't send a courier. <laughs> he sent his son to save us. Then it says they open their treasure boxes. What's in your treasure box? Here's what it is. I'll tell you exactly. What's in your treasure box is what you treasure. What do you treasure most? Your career? Your prowess? Your intelligence? Your physique? Maybe it's your golf game you treasure more than anything else. <laughs> or your boat. What's in your treasure box? It's different to yours than it is to mine. Maybe your grandkids are in your treasure box. They're the ones that you treasure most. Now friends, hear me clearly. 
none of those things I have just mentioned are bad. They're all good things. But there's only one first place. When you get to know Jesus, you go, God, actually, you really gave me everything I have, so I give you my life. It's the most valuable thing I have. I want to give you the best of God. So as we wrap this up, have you lost your joy? From too many hurts, anxieties, confusion, or I know you're just going through the motions at Christmas, just getting through barely by the skin of your teeth or, the, or by your fingernails. Friends, if that's you, you need help from heaven. That helps call the Savior. It's what Christmas is all about. And 2019 years ago, an angel announced, fear not, friends, fear not, because I bring you good news of great joy. And that will be for all people. Doesn't matter what you've done, or who you've done it with, or how long you've done it. Doesn't matter whether you're an atheist, or agnostic, a Buddhist, or a Baptist, a Mormon, Methodist, or Catholic. Doesn't matter a thing about that. The next verse says, why I should have great joy. The Bible says to all people, listen up. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're going to need a Savior, not just one day when you stand before God. You're going to need him in your life, and even in 2020. Why, you say, some of you, do I need a Savior? Well, it's pretty simple. We are separated from God and helpless before him. No matter how good we look on the outside, we can never compare with God's perfection. So what did God do? It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So why did he do that? Why did he send them? Many people don't read the very next verse. We all know John 3.16, but what about the very next verse? Why? This answers the why question. Here it is, verse 17. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. That was never Jesus' purpose. But that through the world he may save them. Through him, he may save them. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed. That's his choice. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that's the whole reason why he came, and that's the reason why we say Merry Christmas. So this Christmas, you need to pray what David prayed after he'd really messed up in his life. Lord, would you restore for me the joy of my salvation? That's Psalm 51. Let's pray. Would you just close your eyes? You don't have to say anything because God knows your mind and your heart. But would you say, God, I don't want to live a joyless life. But Father, I admit, I've lived anxiety and hurt and resentment and confusion and a lot of other things steal my joy and busyness. This Christmas, I need help from heaven to see clearly. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. Now, I don't understand it all, much like Mary. But I'm choosing to trust you and accept your plan for my life. And like Mary, I want to find my joy in you, Lord. Like Joseph, I need you to fill me with your grace so I can let go of the pain and the people that have hurt me in the past. 
I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Unlike the wise men, I want to follow the light you give me one step at a time. God, I realize that I cannot save myself and I need help from heaven. I need a savior. Which is the whole reason, Lord, you came at Christmas. So today I encourage you to say, Jesus, save me, be my savior this Christmas. I humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.